Tonight, if you haven't looked at your sheet yet, we're going to be talking about leadership and followership. <laughs> we're kind of, <laughs> we're still figuring out whether that's actually a word or not, but uh, I think it's, it is an important factor. Leadership's an important factor. Followership's an important factor. We're all going to, we're going to be dissecting that tonight, uh, and I'm really just looking forward to it. So why don't you pray with me, and then we'll, we'll get right started. Father, thank you so much for everybody who's here and just the hearts that are willing to hear from you tonight, Lord. I'm not interested in making my ideas or opinions known. I'm interested in making your word come alive through your spirit alone. And so I pray that as we examine what your word has to say about leadership, about following our leaders, I pray that you would just help each one of us understand the ways in which we need to grow in these areas and um, just bring us conviction through your spirit to just change us in some way from the inside out tonight. God, I'm just so blessed for um, the ways you're working this summer. Uh, and uh, we just give all of the glory and all the praise to you as we uh, just look to you um, for continued growth and knowledge uh, through tonight. So uh, in your name, amen. All right. So firstly, why leadership? Because we actually, I'll let you in on the process. We, the staff, kind of got together and basically listed some of our favorite topics that we wanted to cover for the project. Uh, this was a few months ago. And I, at some point, wrote down, I think we need to talk about leadership. I think this is a really important uh, aspect of the Christian life and life, guys, you know? And so I'm going to, I want to explain why I think it's important. And then we're just going to get into some really important qualities to possess if you're going to lead in life. And then we'll talk about following. So first, the first blank there is understanding leadership biblically. Understanding leadership biblically leads to wise behaviors and attitudes toward those above or below me. I'm going to say that again. Understanding leadership biblically, right, leads to wise behaviors and attitudes, attitudes toward those above or below me. So this, the idea here is that understanding what the Bible has to say about leading and about following, it should affects the way that we live either as a leader or a follower. And so I think that's just really important. Romans 13, one says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So every authority that exists has been instituted by God. And even in later in the chapter, that's Romans 13, one, Later in that chapter, he even clarifies, that's talking about all sorts of, not just spiritual, but secular authority. And so it's all sovereignly orchestrated by God. And so that's important. And as we dive into the biblical qualities of leaders and followers tonight, it will help, it's gonna help round out your understanding of how just to live your life, whether you lead or follow. So that's just going to be really important. And then number two, leadership quality affects the followers, the organization, and the world. 
So that's number two on your outline. Leadership quality effects. Three things, the followers, the people that they're leading, the organization, if it's, you know, we're talking about um, a company or a business or, or a ministry, and it affects the world. Uh, Craig Rochelle, who's a well-known leadership guru, says, when the leader gets better, everybody gets better. I'm not saying that because I'm a leader, but it's just, it's just the truth. Because what he means is poor leadership leads to poor results, but quality leadership leads to quality results. It's just a direct relationship between those things. And obviously, even if there is a bad leader over you, it's not like you're going to turn out terribly, but it's just, it's just there's a direct relationship between the quality of leadership and the quality of the results. And so and when I talk about leaders getting better, uh, what I, I mean this in the sense of them becoming technically more skilled and biblically more Christ-like. Both of those things I think are important. In fact, a leader could be technically skilled and not necessarily Christ-like, but preferably we want to be both. But Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness should come before skill. That's, the, that's an important distinction to make, is that no matter how much skill can be acquired in leadership, just being Christ-like and having character and just those foundational qualities is going to lead to better results. And so there have been a lot of great leaders and a lot of nasty leaders that have drastically changed our world. And so I have some examples for you. First one on the screen. Okay, so we have Tony Stark. He is a leader is he not? And so he's known, we know him as kind of a self-centered guy, and he's just trying to do whatever makes him look good and feel good. And we see his evolution take place over several Marvel movies. And I'm not going to talk about (laughs) the newest thing. Uh, So if you don't know about that, then don't worry about it. But anyways, there's, I just want to target these particular uh, just characteristics of leading for these different people. The next one, Darth Vader is a leader. I'm not saying he's a good leader, but uh, he is a, an effective leader. But he, what he does is he uses power to get what he wants. And a lot of leaders that don't look as scary as him use power or fear or control in order to get what they want. And so we don't, we don't really necessarily want to become that. There's another one, next one. Gandalf, Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings. He's, uh, some of the characteristics of his leading is that he believes in people, even really small people with big feet. And uh, he's also a sacrificial figure in those movies, right? He's a sacrificial figure. So he's willing to lay down his life for th- his team, really. You know, his, the people he's leading. And so the next one, yeah, this guy. So, man, what's what's his leadership style? He's like, what? Wow, is it perfect or terrible? I don't know. Michael Scott, we, I have a thumbs down over here. He's pretty, <laughs> wow, this is a very divisive one. Wow, I got two, three thumbs up in the back. Okay. <laughs> I have here, he's oblivious. He's unqualified, he's prideful, 
Heart of gold? Question mark? Maybe? You're, uh, I'll leave it for you guys to decide. And then uh, I have one more. And this one might be a little bit more. Who knows what I, this is, who this is? This is Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead. I have actually, me and Mariana watched through The Walking Dead within the past year, and it's, it's not too bad, man. It's pretty interesting, and especially this character. Um, I don't think it's the most famous, you know, leader uh, example, but I think it's a really interesting point where, like, he's really decisive, and... Rick's leadership style, he tries to do what's right. That's like the, his main objective. And sometimes he's kind of battling somebody. He's trying to just like do the most like, I don't know, aggressive thing. And so he's kind of always in conflict there, but he really tries to be decisive and do what's right. So that's just, those are five examples, uh, not from our real world, because uh, I don't want to get political on everybody, but uh, you know, so these are just some fun examples. But even honestly though, if you're watching a movie or you know, watching a show, then you can see kind of some aspects and qualities that sort of make those leaders who they are. And it may uh, be good results or bad results. And so all leaders across the board are flawed, but godly leadership achieves the best results. Godly leadership achieves the best results. Probably Gandalf's the closest one that we got to godly leadership in the the past few examples. Uh, Number three, Almost everybody, almost everybody will end up leading somebody someday. Almost everybody will end up leading somebody someday. This is why, this is one of the reasons why I think it's valuable for us to talk about leadership is because I believe that every one of you is going to be some sort of leader someday. Now, uh, show of hands, who's a leader right now? What did you say? If you think you're a leader, tell me. Yeah, we kind of go, I know a little bit earlier. And then who's a follower right here? Now, pretty much, now because of just the way the world works, everybody's kind of following somebody, right? I mean, you know, we have people that we work for in jobs. And I mean, I, you know, I got people I work for and uh, there's the government. And there's a lot of different things, but not everybody in here is leading somebody right now. And so... We're talking about leadership tonight because at some point, like I said, I believe all of you are going to be leaders and I want you to be prepared for leadership when it comes. So I think that's another reason why it's valuable for us to think about what biblical leadership could be. So I want to discuss for about five minutes, just at your table, let's discuss your thoughts on leadership. Do you want more leadership roles or not? whether you're a leader right now or not, do you want more leadership roles or not? Why or why not? And then do you feel equipped to be a leader right now? Do you feel that way? Why or why not? So just discuss that with the people at your table for five minutes and I'll interrupt you when I'm done. All right, I think I'm gonna go ahead and cut you guys off right now, sorry. But I hope you guys had some good discussion. And before I go on, I was just kind of thinking about it and especially as I'm talking about this, uh, I want you guys to sort of have a good idea of where I'm coming from in all of this. I mean, uh, I've been on staff for for five years, but there was a time where like, uh, I wasn't really, I didn't feel really comfortable or confident or equipped to be a leader. 
And a lot's changed in my life to get me where I am today to be able to like, I don't know, like do this sort of thing or plenty of other things that really God's changed in my life to just to make me more equipped. But in, what was it? I was going into my senior year and I had been a part of Challenge for a while. And this was uh, the summer of 2013. I was, uh, I don't know, I, w- I don't want to know how old you were at that time. But uh, summer of 2013, I was asked to be a small group leader for an, a Project Impact, which is basically what Chico Project's all kind of based on, that idea. I went down to Costa Mesa for a summer, and I was a, I was a small group leader uh, for that. And I had never, that was probably my first experience with leading something. I don't know. That was just a really uh, just new thing for me. And there were a lot of things that I didn't do right or didn't do well, but I, I learned something from that. And also I re- that's kind of where I got, that, that kind of sowed the seed of just wanting to maybe be on staff with the ministry at some point. So that was like a really influential time for me, but I was not uh, all the way ready. I was not all the way prepared. And so there's a a sense in this where uh, leadership is just a valuable thing to help train you, even if you are not totally or adequately equipped and prepared. So I just really want to encourage you with that. The the fall after that summer, I went on to lead the freshman sophomore life group. And that was like the first time I'd never done that before. So there was just something really fresh about those experiences. And so I don't want the way I'm coming across tonight reflect like, oh, this is just the way leaders are. And you had to like step up to something. But just, that's just, I want you guys to know where I'm coming from because that was really, um, yeah, where I came from. And I honestly, a lot's changed in my life because of what, what God's done. So I think that he can do the same for you. And there's a lot of ways that I need to, to grow as well. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. And so to begin this kind of the, the, the bigger aspect of this, getting into some qualities of biblical leadership, I was reading in my quiet times a few months ago in the book of First Samuel, and it talks a lot about two characters, Saul and David. And I actually got a slide there, uh, a case study of leadership, Saul and David. There's, we got our two, two guys there. Uh, David's not looking so manly in that one, but, uh, but hey, I mean, yeah, he's, he's the good guy in the story. So we'll get to that. So anyways, Saul and David background is just the study in first Samuel. I was really, as I was reading this, I was just over in my quiet times, I was really understanding like, man, uh, there's some key differences and contrasts between the life of David and the life of Saul. And we really see that in, in the text. And I just thought I'd share that with you because I think it's a really valuable just contrast as to what a leader could be. They were both kings of Israel. Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the second one. And they both just led drastically different lives. And so I really want to get dive into that. So first of all, they had similar beginnings. They were, they were handsome with humble roots. That's what, uh, that's what the Bible says. They're handsome, I guess. I don't know. So, cause it says of Saul in first Samuel nine, two, um, there was Saul, he was a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Ladies, how's that sound? Hmm? So 
We also see him act in humility early on. So that's a good sign. When you're, especially when you're seeing like character introductions in the Bible, you can kind of see where their life is going. And early on, he has a good start where he says, he, uh, he's approached by Samuel. And in 1 Samuel 9, 21, it says, Saul answered, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. So why then have you spoken to me in this way? And so that's pretty interesting to me. And then David's beginnings are similar. In 1 Samuel 16, it says, then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Samuel, so Saul had been rejected as king and Samuel's looking for his replacement. And he goes to this guy, Jesse, and says, he says, are all your sons here? And he says, there, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. This is David. He's what we're talking about. He was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And so it's interesting to see how these two characters whose lives differ wildly from each other, we'll see later they start at a pretty similar area where it's just like these humble beginnings, humble roots. And so I think the bottom line here is that our choices, our choices are what matter. David and Saul both came from humble roots. They both had what it takes to be king. But early on, David established a pattern of faithfulness, a pattern of faithfulness that from one decision to another brought him to his God-ordained success. And as we'll see, David ends up being the kind of leader worth emulating. Last week, what did uh, Jacob and Katie talk about at this meeting? (laughs) Small things, big difference. Good job. (laughs) It's been a long week, huh? (laughs) So, uh, Small things, big difference. And they had, they had a lot of great things to talk about. I listened to it later. David, in the Bible, made lots of tiny decisions. Lots of tiny decisions that, that, that made him become great. And so that's, that's part of what, how we see small things make a big difference in someone's life. So in this way, our personal walk with God is one of the most important facets of a godly leader. It's one of the most important facets of your life, of course, but as a leader, we need to be able to set the pace and to live in a way that is pleasing to God and walking with God. So the first contrast we see is cowardice versus courage. It's on your sheet there, cowardice versus courage. So in Saul's life, we see cowardice, and in David's life, we see courage. 1 Samuel 14, 2 says, Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron, and the people who were with him there, about 600 men. So at the time, there was a battle going on, and Saul was essentially hiding in a cave, even though it was his job to lead the people into battle. Uh, so we see his cowardice through this, this verse. And the story, uh, switching gears to David, the story of David and Goliath is a well-known story of courage. And so as he was preparing to fight Goliath, David talks with Saul and says, let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant, I will go and fight with this Philistine. 
That's David's heart. And everybody else, all of the Israelites are saying, no, this is too scary. David rejects the notion that Goliath is a man worth fearing. And as we read in the story, his faith is in God for, for strength and deliverance to fight and beat a, a giant. So in the same vein of cowardice versus courage, we see, we, we see courage as this beneficial quality of a leader. In the same vein of that, we also see inaction versus action. Inaction versus action. It's on there, I think. And uh, so I think it's a related aspect. So I have it kind of sub-bulleted under there. Inaction versus action. I'm going to go back to those verses we already read. For Saul, it says that Saul was staying in the pomegranate cave. He's just staying in the cave. And he wasn't, wasn't doing very much. He was just kind of hiding. We'll see why in a second. But uh, he's just kind of staying in the cave. And, and then uh, for David, in that verse we already read, your servant, David, I will go and fight. He's going to go and he's going to fight. There's, there's action there. And so we see the steps that David takes, it's of action. And maybe, maybe some of us, and I know parts, times of my life, I would rather just stay in the cave, you know. But um, it's worthwhile to go and fight because James 4.17 4, says, so whoever knows the right thing to do, do action, and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So we see, especially these, these aspects of inaction and action are, are emphasized or punctuated by leaders who fail to or succeed in taking action. And so in the life of David, we see a bias toward action, a bias toward action that as long as he is abiding in the spirit of God, this leads him in the right direction. And as a leader, not only will you lose the trust of your followers, by failing to act, but you will not do the God-ordained things he has entrusted to you. And so if you, if you fail to act, you're going you're gonna to lose people's trust and you're going to drop the ball on the things that God's entrusted to you. And so leading with action is a skillful trait that also applies to biblical leadership. And then another element that has to do with courage versus cowardice is trust in things versus trust in God. Is your trust, is it in things or is it in God? We're going to go one more time back to 1 Samuel 14.2. He was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave. And uh, he was just sitting there. And the context is that there was a lack of weapons in the army of Israel. In fact, in the previous chapter, chapter 13, it says, that now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. Verse 22, so on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and, jo Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. So we got two swords <laughs> or spears, we don't know. But uh, so we see this dependence on physical weapons and the fact that they didn't have any. I mean, 
and perhaps if I was leading an army of like 600 people and we had two swords between all of us, maybe I would want to hide in a cave. But we see a dependence on those things or the lack thereof present in Saul's leadership. And that's, that betrays his trust in things. And then in David's life, 1 Samuel 17, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me He will deliver me, he says, from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord will be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these uh, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And so it's almost this opposite reaction to Saul where he's given weapons and he chooses to put them off. He rejects the standard tools of war and opts for a more humble weapon along with, and this is important, the utmost confidence that God was going to deliver him from Goliath, from the giant. Psalm 20 verse seven says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Chariots and horses are not, uh, they're not things that I think about for like security in 2019. However, this is a picture of something that especially in warfare, at the time that Psalms was written, that these were just valuable instruments of war, chariots, horses, swords, spears. And this Psalm, is ri- it's a Psalm of David. It's written by David who in 1 Samuel says, I don't, need, I don't need all these weapons. I just need God. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God. That's, that's the most important thing you can bring into a battle. So even in the Psalms, David adopts a perspective that clings to God and not the physical practicalities that define worldly success, right? Next, we see a contrast of the fear of man versus the fear of God. Fear of man versus fear of God. We've already seen several things, courage versus cowardice, and inaction versus action, trust in things versus trust in God. And then finally now, fear of man versus fear of of God. So in the two different verses, we see both Saul and David uh, interacting and it says in 1 Samuel 18, and David had success in his undertakings in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Other translations say that he dreaded him or that he was afraid of him. Now that's interesting. At some point in the saga of Saul and David, um, Saul is afraid of David, and at some point even, he's envious of him. He ends up going a little crazy and hunting David. David has to go into hiding. And at one point, David has the opportunity to kill Saul, which is spurred on by his friends because they know that he's being hunted. He's running for his life from Saul. And he refuses the opportunity to kill his aggressor. First Samuel 24 says, David said to his men, the Lord forbid 
that I should do this thing to my Lord Saul, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. David feared God. Saul was Saul feared David, David's power, and David feared God. He decided not to kill Saul, whom he called the Lord's anointed, even though David's life would have been made a lot easier had he killed Saul right there if Saul wasn't in the picture. And then another way that we see Saul's fear of man, 1 Samuel 15, 24, uh, Saul messed up and he said to Samuel, I have sinned, he admits this, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because, why? I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And, um, and we see in the Bible that, in other areas too, that the fear of man just causes problems. First Samuel 18, 7 through 8, And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And so we see him, I mean, these people were, that was kind of a mean song, but whatever. Uh, he see, we see him making this comparison between himself and David. That's kind of a, that's a red flag right there. And also, he says, what more can he have but the kingdom? He's saying, I got my kingdom here, and now it's being threatened by this guy who's got, who all the, the women are singing about. He feels threatened by this, and he thinks that the kingdom's his. But I'm pausing here sort of to say that no matter what you've been given dominion over, whether it's a small group or whether it's uh, just a few people that you are training in some way at your work or a kingdom, <laughs> uh, it is not yours. You know, it's God's, everything's God's, it's all under his control. And so if you start being worried that somebody is threatening your power in a situation, you got to be careful because it's all God's. And if you start to take some sort of an ownership that is problematic or um, it's, it's not good. So um, we want to lead from God's will and a word not from the influence of or jealousy toward others. Proverbs 29 and 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man brings a snare. And so we want to make sure that we're leading from a fear of God, because if we're responding to the fears of the people, even that we're, that we're leading, it's going to lead us just to trying to please them and, uh, but if it's not trying to please God too, then uh, it's no good. So then uh, one more contrast is taking matters into your own hands versus trusting God's timing, trusting God's timing. We want to trust God's timing. Two kind of big passages, they're going to be on the screen. Uh, why don't you follow along with me? So first story is about Saul once again. He waited seven days the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and, and greet him. Samuel says, what have you done? And Saul said, 
When I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistine had mu- Philistines had the mustard at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord, your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So in this instance, we don't know all of the details as to what makes this a problem, but it's clear that God had commanded that Samuel was the one to make the sacrifices, not Saul. And we even see the way he talked about it, that uh, he was acting in fear, even of the people and of the Philistines. And uh, he just acted rashly. And uh, he was taking matters into his own hands, we see. And then David in 1 Samuel 26 says, so David and Abishai went to the army, army by night. There lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army laid around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. And David said, if the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or this day will come to die or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. It's weird. David's faced with the same situation. This is a a separate occasion where he has the option to kill Saul, who is once again trying to kill him. But David acknowledges God's sovereignty. He's not going to try and take matters into his own hands. He knows that God's timing is what is perfect. He understands that all leadership is ultimately subservient to God. All leadership is under God's umbrella of control and sovereignty. And so David recognized this, Saul didn't. And obedience is what David saw. And that was what was critical. That really is one thing that made the difference too, is that he was obedient to God and he trusted God in his timing. And so the result here is that David was a godly leader. David was a godly leader, but if we are comparing these two lives, we have Saul, who had some great, a great start, honestly, but uh, his life didn't lead uh, to the success that David's did. David was a godly leader. And so he's, uh, in 1 Samuel 17, 46, he's speaking to Goliath. He's facing him off on the battlefield. He says, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth. Hmm, that's a, that's a picture right there. Why? This is important. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. There's a point to all the, the gore here, <laughs> but uh, it's that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And so his, his quest was to destroy Goliath by God's help alone so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So ultimately God's glory, the glory of God was David's goal in his life and in his leadership. And that's important. 
Once again, 1 Samuel 18, 14, and David had success in all his undertakings. Why? Because the Lord was with him, for the Lord was with him. God's presence in the life of David is what made him and his leadership spiritually successful. It was God's presence. You know, David sought relationship with God and that truly made the difference as well as he was faithful and he had all these different qualities that we've, that we've witnessed. Acts 13.22 says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. Man, do, don't you want God to say that about you? That is just so much, so heavy. But that's something I want to be, a man after God's own heart. And God says, he will do everything I wanted to do. So that's just so powerful. And one thing to note as we wrap up this time of examining Saul and David is that most of the verses about David here are when he was yet to be king. He wasn't even, he wasn't even king yet. Saul was chasing him and all this stuff was happening. He's fighting Goliath. So whether you're a leader or not, you can still exhibit valuable leadership qualities without having status necessarily. If you act like a godly leader, you will eventually become one. If you act like a godly leader, you will eventually become one. So I have some questions on your sheet there. I want you to um, talk about those in your groups again. Examining the lives of Saul and David, what areas of your life and leadership look like Saul's? And what areas look like David's? And then what quality do you want to improve on to make it more like David? And how will you do that? Once again, we'll take uh, about five minutes to talk about that in your groups. And uh, I'll cut you guys off when we're done. All right, I'm going to cut you guys off. Sorry, again. If you're really in it, then you can talk about it afterward. I encourage you actually to do that. But uh, we're going to move on. So like I said, we've already talked about these qualities that David exhibits that are worth emulating, that we want to be like. And so uh, I have a few more that aren't in the story so much, but I think are just worth mentioning. And then we'll get into to followership. But um, first, other qualities of a godly leader. First is humility. Humility. The first one there is humility. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. So when you're made a leader, you're given power, right? And this power could cause you to think of yourself more highly than you ought to maybe. And this has happened to you many, many, many leaders before us, either in the Bible or in, the, in our lifetime and just different things. But this verse, Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, to count others more significant than yourselves. Another translation says to regard one another as more important than yourselves. And even when you were handed prominence through a leadership position, uh, you still need to practice this basic hard attitude of putting the goals and interests of others above your own, even regarding them as more important to, than you. And 
As I look at the story of Saul and David, one thing I notice is that Saul is given authority quickly. He is anointed by Samuel and is very soon made king. And then David, on the other hand, he's anointed, but uh, then goes on for years without being king, going through lots of trials, like being hunted by Saul. And these years, I think, developed humility in his heart. So sometimes a slow rise to authority is better for your heart than a quick rise to authority. I think that if somebody is elevated so, so fast that they can get to their head, very easily, and then they can, uh, they're not humble. And so no matter who you are, powerful or not, this, the sentiments of John 15, five are true of you. It says, I am the vine, as Jesus is talking, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit for what? For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if I'm a leader, Apart from God, I can do nothing of value. And that's something that I'm humbled by. That's something that I really want to just keep at the heart of my life, but also my leadership is to understand that I am not the one who's ultimately in control. I'm not the one who has all the power or um, I'm not the man or whatever, that, that God's the one, the spirit is the one that just, that brings all the the results. And so, be humbled by this verse. And then another, another uh, quality, key quality is problem-solving skills. Problem-solving skills. Um, so this one is not so much of a character quality. It's more of a, a technical, like skill-based quality. But I think it's important, it's valuable to develop as, as you grow in leading people. Um, a lot of people have a hard time with problem solving. And so one illustration that I think helps you identify your own problem solving skills is called read, act, read, act. And so that applies to how leaders handle situations or problems. And so I learned this from team leader training for leading a team overseas. And so effective leaders ask, before we get into all the, those weird letters on your page, effective leaders ask, what's going on? When I am approached by a situation, effective leaders ask, what's going on? Then they act in line with what they just read. They ask, what's going on? And then they act in line with what they just read. You'll notice here that if they just act without reading, then it could lead to trouble. They might not really know what's going on. They might not have the right action to uh, accompany the situation. And so there's four things here. So read is either a little r or a big R. And then act is either a little a or a big A. Simple, right? So you have these written, written on your paper there. So if you are a big R and a little a, you might be a complainer. That's the little, you got a little blank there. It might be a complainer. Because what you're doing, your complainer, is uh, you're reading things. You're reading all these situations. And may, maybe even if you're a follower, especially, and uh, you're reading, but you're not acting or you don't uh, just have the, I don't know, the gumption just go forward with something, you might just complain about it. You might just say, oh, man, that's just, uh, you, you know what's going on 
but you don't know what to do about it, so you just complain about it. That's, that's one way that some of us might live. And so if you are a little r and a big A, that's dangerous. <laughs> dangerous is the, uh, the <laughs> term for it. The, the key term for a dangerous person is ready, fire, aim. Uh, <laughs> they're not really focused on reading the situation. They just want to act. They're impulsive, maybe. And maybe you are like this, maybe not. There's kind of two, those, those two uh, contrasts are in a lot of people. There's a, a third one. There's the, the um, first there's the complainer, then there's the dangerous. Then if you're a little R and a little A, if you don't really read the situation and you don't really act, uh, you're happy. <laughs> you're just happy. <laughs> you're just, you're living your life. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you don't really know what's going on, and you don't have to, you don't have to do anything about it. And I guess you know you're 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 doing fine, but <laughs> uh, well, that's something that you might want to improve on. You know, maybe you're just kind of oblivious uh, in that. If you are a little R and a little A, you're just you're just happy. You're non-threatening. And then um, if you are a big R and a big A, that's Christ-like. That's what we want to be. <laughs> you want to be a big R. You want to read the situation effectively and act on what you read um, appropriately, right? That's, you want to be Christ-like. This is what the one that we want to be on a journey toward. And so think to yourself, which of these stands out? Which of them is you, you think? And be careful about being the Christ, calling yourself, labeling yourself as the Christ-like one, but... Maybe you are, who knows? So um, once, uh, I want to talk a little bit about developing your R and developing your A. I'm not going to leave you out in the cold, but uh, uh, just wondering how to improve in these areas. So to develop your R, just give you a few little tips here. You want to remember to ask yourself, what's going on? This is if you have a, li- a little R and you're maybe dangerous or you're just happy. <laughs> um, you want to ask yourself, what's going on? In situations that you're in, especially if you're a leader, uh, if you're too impulsive, then you gotta just kind of take a step back sometimes and just evaluate what's going on. You want to ask and you want to reflect and actually think about what you're what you're seeing and ponder it to the extent where you can actually have a, a reasonable, uh, worthy action. And uh, you want to the, the term I like is you want to walk around the issue and look at it from different angles. Because maybe uh, if you're at point A and you want to get to point B, you just want to fix it. You just want A to B. You know, it's just like a straight line. But a more valuable approach, an approach that reflects on what's going on, is to walk around the problem a few times and go, oh, okay, that's really what's going on here. I'm getting a better perspective. And I'm actually reading this appropriately instead of just plunging in and trying to fix it. And so uh, the Holy Spirit's job is to help you read, really, in some ways. You know, the Holy Spirit helps us to read things. And, uh, you know, as we're just going about our lives, if, if you're really making sure to be abiding uh, and walking in the Spirit every day, then that's going to help you as you're trying to read situations and not be too impulsive. And so um, if you're maybe big on R, but a, a little A, then here's how you can develop your A. You want to cultivate courage. Uh, cultivate courage. Learn, how, learn to respond with assertiveness in situations that you're tempted to be passive in. 
And that's something, I think this is really something that I've had to grow in a lot is just to, when I'm tempted to be passive and hide in the pomegranate cave, right guys, you want to learn to respond with assertiveness and understand that if you are reading the situation uh, accurately and you've walked around it and you really know, okay, this is what's going on, then you can respond and you can uh, be decisive because another thing that's a problem if you're a leader is, is to be indecisive. And so, um, and then another way to develop your A is just don't be afraid to take risks. This is something even um, in my last uh, message in the, the spring, I was talking about just uh, finding God's will in your life. And part of that means just sort of is taking spirit-led, spirit-filled risks, honestly, to uh, just pursue God's direction for you. And so, when Saul, we, we looked already at all these verses about Saul, when he offered up the unlawful sacrifice, he, when he offered up the sacrifice and Samuel wasn't there yet, he read the situation poorly. And so he was like a little R and a big A, right? And then also when he hid in the cave, he failed to act. He wasn't doing anything. So he was like a, a big R maybe, or a little R, and a little A. He wasn't, he wasn't acting um, appropriately. And so, but we can see a big R, big A, in the ways that David acted in 1 Samuel. And so um, Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom. Problem solving is something that we are naturally inclined toward or not, but the spirit will help you develop it as you seek a heart of wisdom, as you're seeking a heart to discern things. This is something that you can just grow in over time. And um, I encourage you that if you, if you feel you aren't where you need to be in problem solving, then to just, that, that's something that you can pray about and uh, seek opportunities to, to grow in. So then a third uh, quality, other quality of leadership is vision. It's vision. The third one is vision. So you can check all of the boxes of being a great leader. But if you do not lead people with vision, you'll have a hard time getting them to follow you. So, you know, casting vision is an important way to communicate. It's communicating with your team of followers about what is important. Leading is more than just getting people to do stuff. If that's my goal, then I'm not going to, it's going to be a hard time motivating people. Rather, it's about showing your followers the value of what you're doing. People don't follow blindly. You, know, you want to show them the value of what it is you're doing and answer the why behind the what of what they're doing. And I think uh, Paul, Paul Wooster is a great example of this. He makes it very just clear that every role within challenge, whether it is leading a small group or giving a message or setting up the room or going overseas printing handouts or running slides. It has, it all has eternal value as we are collectively seeking to make disciples of all nations. So every big and small task that is a part of challenge as far as Paul's concerned, as far as I'm concerned, is in service to this bigger vision of making disciples of all nations. And one verse that inwardly fills me with vision is Revelation 7, 9 through 10. 
It says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and singing and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This is a vision of the future. This is something, this is a day that is one day coming. This incredible vision of a great multitude from all tribes, peoples, languages. When I quote this verse to myself, I'm reminded that what I'm doing today ought to affect that day that the verse describes. What I'm doing today ought to affect that day. I implore you uh, as students who are seeking after God through discipleship training, you're here, right? To keep in mind, we're doing all of this. You are listening to sermons. You are reading the book. You're memorizing verses. We're doing all of that because the day is coming soon when we'll worship God with the multitudes. And the training you are getting today affects that future reality. It applies to that day. And so that verse, this verse compels me and the people that I lead and challenge to. And uh, so I encourage you to take time to think through your leadership and the ways that you can fill your followers with vision. Maybe a Bible verse summarizes what you're doing, or maybe you can encourage them through a clear description behind the why of what you're doing. Understanding the why of what you're doing is an important part of understanding the vision of something. And so we have more questions on your page. What examples have you seen of leaders displaying humility, problem-solving skills, or vision? Our three other qualities. And then which one of these three qualities do you want to grow in and why? Go ahead, take another five minutes, gonna discuss those things. All right. Go ahead and uh, wrap up. So we have a little bit more here. No, it's kind of long. I usually don't prepare stuff this long, guys, but uh, it's Chico Project, man. Come on. You're here. You're all here for the nitty gritty. We're going to, David's going to talk for an hour and you're going to like it. Uh, but I really, <laughs> you know, I, I just hope that you guys aren't, you know, tuning out if you need to take a little stretch, you know, you can do that, but uh, we're almost done. We're gonna kind of wrap up with a little bit about following. Yeah, he's, he's stretching, yeah. So you guys do what you gotta do to stay with me. Got a little bit more to talk about, about following, all right? We good? You guys good? Yeah. All right, <laughs> okay. So we talked a lot about leadership. I hope that's been helpful to you. And even talking about, or as we're going to learn about following, even that rounds out our understanding of just leading and following and just leadership and followership in the context of just the world. Um, and especially in, in spiritual leadership and followership. And so what does it look like to follow? Once again, I have Romans 13, one down there. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which, has, which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. All, all of the authorities that exist have been established by God. And so really quick, you don't need to discuss this, but just write it down. What leaders do you have in your life? So just kind of, we got a little line there, I think. Just take a second, jot down some people's names or whatever. We're talking, what, 
people in the government even, parents maybe. Maybe you don't think they're your leader, but whatever. Your boss. Maybe it's a pastor or, yeah? Yeah, any, any person who is in leadership over you. It doesn't matter whether you think they're a good leader or a bad leader. That's a good question. Just any leader. You got, there, maybe they're spiritual leaders, but maybe it's also um, coaches you've had in your life that you want to jot down or people that, uh, teachers, just anything like that. You just want to be thinking about, as you're thinking about being a follower, just understand for yourself kind of who are the people I'm, I'm thinking about and I'm following and I'm wanting to follow regardless how, of how good or bad of a leader I think they are. So just try and kind of jot that down. And so you don't need to discuss that, but just uh, try and be thinking about that. And so as we talk about following, just sort of apply these thoughts to, to all of those, really. All, all of the authorities that exist have been established by God. That's, that's in the Bible, you know. So how can we, how can we respond to those authorities? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. So that also applies to following. It also applies to how I even think about my leaders if I'm thinking about my leaders in a way that is not bringing glory to God in my thought life, then maybe I need to um, re- rethink that. As followers, you know, we face the temptation of being overly critical of the actions of our leaders. We're all, we're all in the same boat. We're all following somebody or multiple people. We face the temptation of being overly critical with, of the actions of our leaders. Sometimes, sometimes some of the most some of the best leaders you'll have, you'll, you'll still have the temptation to be critical of the way that they're handling something or what's going on. And then, yeah, maybe there's people that, uh, that are not doing such a great job, but uh, it's not glorifying to God to just, just stew in your criticism or to lash out or whatever. And maybe, you know, you're sharing with a friend how you don't like your leader or are telling others of the mistakes they've made or choices you think that are bad. So you need to ask yourself, is this glorifying to God? There is an appropriate way to share concerns with leaders. Uh, When they ask for feedback or in a private conversation, there's ways to bring about, you know, change if you really think things are that bad. Uh, But just using the proper, proper channels. But just, you know, as followers, we have the ability to cause division with our words. And that's what we're trying to avoid. When we wrongfully express our opinion about somebody, uh, it causes disunity and can be damaging to a team or a group, an organization or a ministry, right? Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. This is just a, wow. (laughs) Key verse comes up in my life a lot because a lot of people, uh, myself included, like to just express their opinion and what they're feeling. And they're not really paying attention to understanding this, the other person's side or whatever. They're just expressing their opinion. And, some t- and, and maybe you're on the other side of it and you can tell, like, this is not helpful, dude. But they keep doing it. And, but also, I really encourage you to examine your own life. Where, where are ways that uh, you might be tempted to express your opinion as opposed to 
just understanding and seeking to be, to be teachable. It's a teachability concern. You want to be teachable to your leaders and to bear with them even when they make mistakes. John C. Maxwell, he's another leadership guru. In fact, if you write those names down, Craig Groeschel, you can figure out how to spell it later. Craig Groeschel and Max, John C. Maxwell, um, those are two names that you could look up like a book that they've written. Um, there's a really good podcast that Craig Rochelle does that a lot of us know about. That, those are good resources for like real, like, like nitty gritty, like, like leadership stuff. Anyways, John C. Maxwell, we've got a quote. An opinion, and this, this applies to when you're a follower though. An opinion before a decision is made has potential value. You know, if I'm on a team of people and, um, you know, we're, we're deciding on something I can, I can express that opinion, and it might be of some value, you know. But an opinion after the decision has been made is worthless, right? So what I mean by that is, in fact, this has come up uh, in just even in being on staff with Challenge. Um, when, uh, a good example, we go to Hume Lake for our spring break every year, and I just felt really adamant that we should do all of our sessions in a particular chapel. They have multiple chapels there. I was like, we should do this chapel. And most of the people, including the, the big guy, Paul, uh, said, no, we should do this chapter, uh, chapel. And I was like, oh, but this chapel. And I was like providing all these reasons why I think it should, we should do this other chapel. And I was like, I think we might regret it if we, you know, whatever. And I, 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 I did the work and I was expressing that opinion. And that was, that was okay in that situation because it was, I was just trying to be helpful, provide another point of view. And then, but once the, the switch was, was, you know, switched and Paul says, nope, we're going to do this other chapel. I was like, okay, let's do it. And there was, I was no longer thinking about, oh man, this, this chapel, this is going to be, this is going to be terrible or this other one was better. It's out of my mind. Right. And so the way that you want to, and I was, I'm not a follower in that example, you know, so it's just like when you're in a state of following somebody, you can offer your, your thoughts on the matter. And sometimes it's helpful to express just like, um, just a difference of opinion. But ultimately once the leader decides, nope, this is what we're going to do. Then you are, you become a proponent of that decision. You are saying, yes, I am in full support of my leader and of the decision that, that he or she has made. That's really important. An opinion before a decision is made has potential value. An opinion after the decision has been made is worthless. So a few more discussion questions. I'll give you maybe two or three minutes. What does it look like to follow well? And are you doing these things? What attitude or pers perspective do you need to change? How will you do that? Which verse can you memorize to help you do this? Um, once again, just kind of a quick period of time to discuss those questions. All right. I know that was a quick one, but uh, let's go ahead and wrap up what you're saying. All right. Thanks, guys. So home stretch. Uh, so why don't you um, dive into the next verse we have. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Hebrews 13, 17. And so I want to just give you a few practical ways to make it a joy for your leader. 
And uh, I kind of already touched on this a bit because of uh, the previous thing I said, but uh, we'll get into it. First, you can have a good attitude. Just have a good attitude, you know? Have a good attitude. Because um, when you're on a team or following somebody, your attitude affects everyone around you. And uh, a negative attitude spreads. It's like a virus. And we even see that in the Bible, just to different situations where people are, one or a few people are just feeling bitter or negative about a situation. And it just infects all these other people. And so maybe it's in your small group. Uh, if one of you is kind of feeling embittered about something or has a bad attitude, then that's going to spread. And so you want to be engaged in what's going on. You want to be engaged in what's going on and, you know, just regardless, even regardless of whether you think in that moment or feel in that moment that your leader is doing what he ought to be doing or whatever. So make sure to have a good attitude and be all in. That's next, be all in. I touched on this earlier and you just want to support it as much as you can and be, this is key, to be the first to be on board. You know, make it your goal to honor the person that's been placed in leadership above you, whether you agree with them or not, by being the first to be on board. Say, all right, let's do it. I want to, because you understand that making that leader happy um, or making it a joy for them is ultimately pleasing and glorifying to God, okay? Right? Be all in. And then finally, um, be the follower you want on your team. Because, uh, I think all of you are going to be leaders of something. And uh, if you want to have followers that are just awesome and going to follow you at every turn and just even when you mess up, because you know, no matter how critical you are of the leaders around you, uh, you know that you make mistakes and you're flawed as well. And uh, you want people to follow you even when you, oh man, you just make some, some sort of mistake. And so you just want to ask, you know, how can you be helpful to your leader? And, you know, maybe you're in the kid zone. You need to ask, you know, have you done what you've needed to do to prepare for that? Or maybe you're in the setup team. Uh, you know, maybe you complain about how early it is or something. Just really examine, like, what kind of follower follower would I want on my team? And am I really living that out? At the end of the day, we are followers of God and we want to follow the example of Christ. So are you going to trust and follow God through his authority that he's placed over you? Or are you going to be critical and apathetic? So you got to choose, you know, which one of these you're going to be. You want to follow God and trust him through the authority by, tr by following the authority, you are trusting and following God, or are you going to be critical and apathetic? So one thing, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> one thing that might be hard to ignore right now is that about 12 of you in this room are small group leaders for the summer, and the rest of you are not, and that's okay. I only mention this. I, I made it weird, guys. I know, sorry. I only mention this because if you're a follower, you need to take these truths and about leadership and apply them to your own life. You got to apply them to your own life. Like I said earlier, every leader is flawed. It's unhelpful for you to take all of this content and think of all the ways that your small group leader may not be living up to godly leadership. The important thing, the important thing is that 
The staff picked the small group leaders for a reason, and God sets every leader over you for a reason. So I encourage you to be teachable to them no matter what. At the end of the summer, you'll learn about uh, heart attitude number seven, which is follow spiritual leadership within scriptural limits. So yes, if it's going outside of the bounds of your convictions about the uh, the word or the Bible, you know, obviously then yes, you don't need to follow that leader into, into that. But otherwise, really make it your aim to make it a joy for the leaders around you. And so once again, you're all going to go on to lead big and small things, no matter who or what you lead, however, apply these values to your lives so you can be an exceptionally godly leader. That's the goal, to be a godly leader. And until you get there, be a follower that is a joy to lead. I'm going to pray and then we'll be, uh, be done. So, Father, uh, thank you so much for the ways that you show us in your word how to live like you, live like Jesus, and in the ways that he modeled godly leadership and he even modeled godly followership. So I pray now that we would... Uh, take these truths to heart and really seek to understand for ourselves the ways in which we need to change for the better in our leadership and our followership. And I pray God that you would just mold each of us into the person, the leader you want us to be, that we would exhibit godly leadership qualities, characteristics before we are even given that leadership. And Lord, I just pray that we would keep ourselves humble before you in all of this, knowing that you are the one who gives and takes away. You raise people up and bring people down. It is you that is in control of all these things. We, we honor you and glorify you in this time. And as we, as we leave here in your name, amen.